Are we supposed to get married? I'm going to just swipe I just want somebody to share my life with. I would walk into a bar or a party and be like, please kill me. Give me a cloak of invisibility. You can keep waiting for the fairy tale, or you can get on board with the new rules of relationships. If you've read my advice in the LA Times, then you know this ain't your mama's love advice. This is Dates and Mates with Damona Hoffman. Ooh, hello there, lovers. Welcome to another episode of Dates and Mates presented by Text Now, the app that gives you a free second phone number that you can use just for dating. So you don't have to worry about giving out your primary number to time wasters, creeps, scammers like we talked about in last week's episode. None of that. You just give them your number. And then if the match is a dud, you switch out your Text Now number. <laughs> Thank you. Next. I can't believe it. But this is the final episode of season eight of Dates and Mates. Wow, we covered so much this season. I mean, what a year we had. Uh, Elephant in the room. Don't need to tell you. And then we had amazing guests as well, like Garcelle Bouvet from The Real Housewives, who you may have also seen me coaching on an episode of the show recently. We had the editors of Cosmo Magazine and Esquire Magazine. We had Dr. Harville Hendricks, a legend in the dating and relationships field. We had execs from Bumble. We had Bumble's success stories. We have had so much in all 52 weeks of this season's episodes. And it's been action-packed. So action-packed, in fact, that we are not stopping. Guess what? When will season nine start? Well, we'll pick up right where we leave off today. You can stick around to the end of this episode to find out what you can expect to hear next season and who the juicy guests we have locked in will be. In the meantime, you know how we do. We are closing out this season with a bang. I am talking to the one and only Nora McInerney. She is the host of the incredible, critically acclaimed podcast, Terrible, thanks for asking, and the author of several books, including No Happy Endings and The Hot Young Widows Club. And as she will tell you in just a moment, she found lightning in a bottle in a once-in-a-lifetime love and then lost him to stage four brain cancer. She's going to talk us through what it was like to find love once again after loss and what it means to date with baggage. Hopefully yours is a cute you know, Louis Vuitton clutch or something. Maybe even it's a thick multi-compartment trunk or an army-style duffel. Whatever it is that you're carrying around, we've got you covered. And Nora will handle it all with grace, ease, and humor as she does on her podcast. But first, I'm going to hit these headlines, including famous people are invading the dating apps. So how do you hook up with a celeb? And... A new relationship trend among the 65-plus crowd that you might need to try. Then in Dear Demona, I will answer your questions, including should you invest in an exclusive paid dating app feature? And you suddenly found out that your partner is a little bit racist. What do you do? Lovers, coming in hot. Let's dish. D's Dating Dish. The Insider has an article this week about how insiders are revealing how celebrities are responding to the recent dating app profile leaks. What dating app profile leaks do you mean, Demona? Well, in case you've been hiding under a rock, Ben Affleck and Matthew Perry are among the celebrities who have been outed on dating apps. Outed as what? Outed as humans looking for a human connection, just like you, if you're single, they are on dating apps. And 
we're seeing, especially throughout the pandemic, that a lot more celebs are turning to the digital method of finding love because they've been on lockdown too. There have been apps for a while that have catered to the elite crowd. What all of these apps have in common is that you have to apply to be a part of them. They don't just let you create a profile and anyone to start their their profile. You have to be accepted into this elite club. And I guess that gave some celebrities a sense of privacy, a sense of security that everyone there has been vetted. But it turns out there's shady people online everywhere. And some of these shady folks have been taking screenshots of their video chats, video messages, texts, any interactions they have with celebrities, clearly just to prove to the outside world that they actually were talking to a celebrity and to gain some sort of social clout for themselves, which I think is terrible. So today I wanted to set the record straight on what dating app etiquette really should look like as far as your own agreement, if you're signing on a dating app, for safety and security and what you intend to provide to others. First of all, Let's stop with the screenshots, okay? Like if you need to show your friend something in privacy because you need their take on what a text meant, maybe. But beyond that, why are you screenshotting a message from any match, let alone from Ben Affleck because you unmatched him? And some of the elite dating apps are actually taking measures to stop this. So there are privacy features on the Locks Club, for example, which I mentioned a minute ago, that will end your video chat if you start trying to screen record it. I would argue that all apps should adopt that technology. I don't think we should be looking to shame people and take information from the dating app that's intended to be private and making it public. That said, on the other side of things, if you are on a dating app, you have to remember that any information you share there could become public. And you should behave in a way where you assume it may become public. Yet another reason why I say move offline as quickly as possible. Don't get stuck in the texting trap. Don't say anything in a text that you wouldn't reveal to someone face-to-face. And do not say anything that you could not defend in a court of law, okay? I want to make sure that you are educated about these things and you know what's out there to empower you, not to make you scared of sharing yourself or being authentic. But remember... When you're texting someone, you are not actually developing a real connection. That's a pen pal. That's not a relationship. So you shouldn't be divulging personal details or things that you would be embarrassed if your grandmother saw them on Twitter. Is your grandma on Twitter? What? She's so modern. Anyways, those are the etiquette rules. And those are the things that I want you to remember yourself if you are on any dating app and you're texting any dates and putting information out there into the ether. Now, where can you find these celebrities? Because that's what I teased. I'll actually tell you, more celebrity clients that I have are on Bumble than on Raya. The challenge with Raya and the league and these elite dating apps that claim to have thousands of people waiting to knock down their doors is that a lot of times people get in there and then it's kind of like, have you ever been to a club that had a bouncer? and? And you got in and then you got there and realized like, oh, this club is kind of dead anyway. And you didn't want to be there in the first place. It was more the cachet of getting chose to walk into this club than actually being in the club. That was fun. 
So I think people are finding that. There's a lot of CNBC and people are getting there so that they can say, well, I'm on Raya, but now what? There, I don't see a lot of action being taken to move from the dating app into actual connections. And I have worked with a number of celebrities who've been on, on Raya. Actually, <laughs> Drew Barrymore famously tells a story of how she got stood up by someone that she met on Raya and now she won't do dating apps again. I'm working on it though, guys, I'm working on it. I'll be doing next season of the show, hopefully in person in New York. So I'll be talking to her about dating apps and maybe we can get her signed up. Drew Barrymore aside, if you are looking to find a celebrity on a dating app, first of all, stop. You should not be looking for that. But just know that in many places, especially LA, New York, but now, hey, look, Austin, you're taking a lot of Californians from us, San Francisco. There are many cities, DC. You are likely to come across someone who is in the public eye. And we are now all living our lives in the digital space. So it makes sense that a lot of people that are in the public eye are now choosing dating apps as another opportunity to meet someone outside of their social circle. If you come across one of them, just treat them like a normal person. In other news, the New York Times had a fascinating article about older singles. And for all of my Gen Z and millennial listeners, don't turn off the episode because there's something in here for you. But a lot of older women, I've been hearing this in my coaching practice. And in the article, they cited a lot of women that are concerned about dating someone their own age because as you get older and, you know, things start breaking, <laughs> I'm not there yet, but already things are breaking. Ooh, my knee. Women especially are being pushed into more of a caretaker role. And, you know, it's great if you've had a partnership with somebody your whole life and you build your life together. And then, of course, you're going to push their wheelchair. But if you're dating, you're single, maybe you're divorced, maybe you're widowed and you're like 60, 65, 70, but you still got a lot of energy. You don't want to go on a date where you're going to have to push somebody's wheelchair, or like, you know, massage their feet at the end of the night. Oh, wait, I already make my husband do that. So basically, I've realized I am a 65-year-old man. No, I'm kidding. But the rules really change in the next generation of dating if you're not there yet. And if you are there, you may be nodding your head and saying, I don't want to be a caretaker, but sure, I want companionship. So what is the solution for that? It's a lat. What is a lat, you ask? It is short for living apart together. These are long-term committed romantic relationships where you don't share a home. And in this article, they even chronicled a couple of people who had tried moving in together and then found, like, look, I've said this before, when you're even over 40, your life's kind of set. You got your job, you have your family, you have your friends, you have your hobbies, you're kind of doing what you're gonna do. and when you meet someone new, you have to either make space for them in your life or figure out how you're going to incorporate them into your life. And a lot of older singles are finding like, well, you serve that one function of romantic partner, but I don't necessarily need to live with you. And this just gave me a huge light bulb moment for all of my younger daters. Why don't we think about this? Why don't we consider living apart together as an option? I see that younger daters are moving in together far too quickly, not asking the key questions that you need to know to decide if you want to blend your life together because you just think, well, I'm at his house all the time. And why not? If we could save ourselves the commute and I don't have to keep packing up my toothbrush, 
I'll just move in. And especially inside of the pandemic, as we were bubbling with one another and you couldn't even see people outside of your bubble, we saw a lot of people moving in together and we're seeing a lot of those relationships that moved too quickly or that shouldn't have been living under the same roof in that early phase, splitting up. So lat, think about it. Do you actually need to be driving towards moving in together? Why have we associated moving in together as meaning a step towards a more successful relationship? And what if that just wasn't true? What if you could have a more successful relationship, living your independent life, living with your your cats and your one bedroom or two bedroom apartment? I know I had to give up a very big, very wonderful walk-in closet when my husband moved in with me. And I just think, well, what if I could have waited and saved that closet and then hung on to the relationship until we were ready to truly blend lives and move in together? So make sure you're asking the questions before you decide to move in with somebody. One, is this going to complicate my life or make it simpler? Do I truly want to be with this person and see myself with them long term? What would things look like if we were to break up? How would we separate if that happened? How are we going to pay for things as a couple right now? Are we going to split things down the middle? Does one person make more money and then the other person? And then what would happen if we acquire anything together as a couple? (laughs) Who's going to take that? And I know these are not sexy questions. So that's another reason why if you're not ready to answer those questions and that seems cumbersome, maybe you should stick. Okay, friends, I have done enough talking for now because I have a super exciting, super-sized conversation with Nora McInerney. She's the host of Terrible, Thanks for Asking. And she has so much wisdom to share with you about loving again after loss, about dating after divorce, and about generally looking for the good in all of the life experiences that we have. So don't go anywhere. Welcome back. I am here with Nora McInerney. She is the creator and host of the award-winning podcast, Terrible, Thanks for Asking, and the best-selling author of the memoirs, It's Okay to Laugh, Crying is Cool Too, No Happy Endings, and The Hot Young Widows Club. Her work has appeared in publications like the New York Times, Time, Slate, you may have heard of them. She's spoken on TED's main stage, I love her podcast, and I love that I get to share her with you here on Dates and Mates. Please help me give big smooches to Nora McInerney. Hello. How are you doing, Nora? Oh, we're good. We're good. We're good. We are in my closet. <laughs> I thought you were going to say terrible. Thanks for asking. <laughs> no, we're good today. We Today we are good, although I think I, I joined this call three minutes late having Fred Flintstone punted my children out the front door being like, go, you're out of here. You're out. You're free. We're free. You're free. Go do anything. Like you, you have a beautiful like life ahead of you. Why do you want to play quote unquote office sitting next to me? It's just, it's <laughs> give your whole life to do that. Get out of here. I can relate as a parent, but I think for most of our audience, they're like, that sounds great. I want that wonderful life that you have. But yes. for those of you who haven't read your books or followed your podcast, which, by the way, terrible thanks for asking in case those you didn't pick up on my witty repartee at the beginning. You've been through a few things. 
Nora? Yeah, yeah. My, I do have a wonderful life. I have a wonderful life. I love these children. I love my life. And I think it is also fair to love your life and sometimes just fantasize about getting in your car, driving across the Mexican border, assuming a new identity and never returning. And sure, I've been there. That's the kind of week we're having. I was like, why do all of my fantasies involve me being alone in a quiet room? (laughs) Like my children are not there. My yes, is yes, not that's, there. Why? That's 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 truly my number one sexual fantasy. It has nothing to do with sex. It is truly just <laughs> me being me being alone. So, um, the family that I call my family, my family as it is right now, very different than the family I imagined. Very different than the family um, that I came from. Very different than the family that I intended to build. We are blended, which is you know, if you look into the data, if you read. Pew Research has stated that there is no longer a standard family unit. Like the average family now is a family that looks like mine or very different from mine. And my family is that I am a remarried widow. My current husband is divorced. Uh, We blended our family six years ago. He came with two older kids that we call the Bigs, who are now 20 and 15. I cannot believe it. And I came with uh, one of the littles, Ralph, who I had with my husband, Aaron, who died of brain cancer. And then together, we had Baby, who we call Baby. And yes, that will absolutely be a problem. He will someday be like a 30-year-old man whose boyfriend or girlfriend or partner is like, oh my God, yeah, he goes by Baby. Uh, his He still sleeps with his mother. He's horrible. He's the worst boyfriend I've ever had. He's also the worst boyfriend I've ever had, okay? <laughs> He's so mean. He's hardly. So mean. <laughs> I hardly believe it. I hardly believe it. But you also just kind of, in that story, you kind of grazed over something that actually is a pretty significant event. Your first husband died of brain cancer. And yes, yeah. I know for a lot of people, and I'm sure for you, that is like worst case scenario. Absolutely. Right? It's not even on the docket of possible scenarios. It and was you're so, young. You were young. What, 30? I was, I was 31 when it happened. I'm 38 now. It's bonkers. I was 28 when we got married. And he was 31. He was so, so, so young. And we had both lived like really charmed lives, honestly, just like really the kind of life where you're like, look, I know bad things happen, but like probably to other people. And, you know, and it's so sad when it does. And then all of a sudden you are other people and suddenly you are making literal life and death decisions for your husband, for your family. And it just is as big as it sounds. And it's also so frighteningly normal. Like, I think the thing that really reassures me about life is that we can have these huge seismic shifts and adapt to them and still live really beautiful, meaningful lives. And I watched Aaron do that. I watched Aaron be told like, you have stage four brain cancer, an incurable condition uh, where the treatment options have not improved in 30 years. We're still doing the same shit, which is let's throw some poison in your body and hope it kills the right parts of you. Mm. And I still watched him wake up every day and go to work and be a friend and be a husband and be a brother and be present in this world that he knew he would not be in for long. Mm, That's so beautiful. And I I think that's a big 
takeaway for our audience to remember that, like, even if you haven't been through that experience, I'm sure that they can understand how they've been through challenging situations and it's hard to stay positive. Oh, and, yeah. you know, they, yeah. they listen to dates and mates every week and they're like, you know, I want to, I want to find love, but I have all this stuff that I'm dealing with. And that wasn't even, mm -hmm. you had a rough year that year, Nora, that wasn't even yeah. everything. Yeah. You went through a miscarriage, your father died a few weeks before Aaron died. Yeah. So, yeah. Really beat him to the punch, which was rude. <laughs> Aaron was like, okay, wow, I've had cancer longer and there goes your dad. I was like, I know. God, he's just really got to steal your thunder. Any chance he can get these goddamn boomers. Okay. <laughs> you clearly have uh, such a sense of humor. So how did you come to terms with loving again after such a major year of loss? Oh, poorly. Very, very, very poorly. And I told myself, one, who needs it, right? Like, who needs it? I got struck by lightning once. It would almost feel greedy to want it again or to think that I deserved it again or to think that I could possibly find that kind of magic twice when plenty of people I know are still looking for the first one, right? And I just frankly was not interested in it. I was not interested in getting to know another person, caring about another person, building a life with another person. I was interested in possibly having sex with a person who could come over and kill spiders. I was interested <laughs> in... You know what? I've become the spider killer. My husband was out. That's like such a huge role. He was out for the evening. He was doing an errand for my daughter. And then my son found a spider in his room. And I was like, I guess it's me. I have I guess to do it, I'm this. I'm being called up. I'm being called to the big <laughs> leagues right now. I really felt like a, a sense of achievement. But just drilling in there a little bit, I know that listeners are like, but how long? How long does yeah. it take to feel ready? Everybody wants a time period, right? Like we want to know, well, if I just broke up with somebody or I just got dumped or I just went through a divorce or I was just widowed or whatever, whatever your thing is, whatever the thing is that you believe is baggage that you are carrying forward with you. One, I just don't believe in baggage, or at least I think that our baggage is worth something. I truly do. I think that it is all like, you know, the expensive Louis Vuitton stuff that I could never afford. I think that you get to decide you do get to decide like what parts are worth keeping. And for me, it has been that I was loved really well. I was loved very, very well. And before Aaron, I had certainly said I loved people. I had certainly been told that I was loved, but I had not experienced the feeling of truly being seen and appreciated for who I was. And there's such a freedom in that, that once you have it, you cannot settle for anything else. You can't, you can't. And even, uh, you know, even if a relationship ended poorly, you get to decide like, what did you learn from that relationship? What did you get from that relationship? What is worth, what is worth keeping? Aaron fell into me, you know, like it just, we met by accident and it worked and it was wonderful. And we had just decided on each other and he was wonderful, truly. Like he was the kind of person who made everybody feel like the party started because you got here. Oh my God, you're here. You belong. And I 
am not that socially comfortable. I'm not. I would walk into a bar or a party and be like, please kill me. Um, give me a cloak of invisibility. Somebody give me something to do with my hands. I smoked for like 10 years just to have something to do. Just to have a reason to <laughs> like, step I have to out go of outside. a party I have to get out of and here. look busy. Yes. <laughs> I was like, oh, this, yeah, this is what I need. So I had that. I had that sort of relationship. And I wasn't, I never felt like it is time for me to move forward. Now I am ready to fall in love. No, never once, never once. Did you categorize people differently when you met them, you know, dating after Aaron passed away? Were you like, okay, you're, you're an F buddy. You are marriage material. Did you compartmentalize that in your mind? Oh, everyone was just a fling. Everybody was just a body, which is so terrible because so many of them were so kind to me. And truly, I think part of the reason why I could do that and not feel guilty and not feel too attached was because everybody who I was associated with in any sort of sexual way, like they knew, like they knew the story. And I told them that because I had nothing to lose, right? Like I was very upfront, like this is what I need from whatever this is going to be. This is what I'm capable of. This is what I am not. And if you're interested in this kind of arrangement, I'm your girl. And if not, okay, I'm not. But also let me be clear, I will never be your girl. I am not yours. I belong to nobody. <laughs> like I am my own priority. And, and you're raising also a child, now little. <laughs> a little kid, a little kid. Little who was littler. Little who was baby then. He was only two. You know, he was under two when Aaron died. He turned two a couple months later and he was everything to me. Like we were each other's world. And I was not going to risk that for anybody. I was not going to have him meet anybody. I was not going to have anybody sort of shift my priorities away from him. And I was uninterested in falling in love again. I truly was. And I thought to myself, like, I can do this. Like, I can do this on my own. I know I can have a really, really, really good life on my own. I will happily adopt more children or get, you know, who knows, like I still had a little bit of Aaron's sperm left. Maybe we could have pulled it off. Like I, I was prepared fully to raise a child on my own, to live my own life, to, I, I don't know, like maintain whatever sort of small <sighs> little planet that Ralph and I had created together. I was really, really focused on that. Did you think that in some way, did you, maybe this is a weird question, but did you see it as like a betrayal of Aaron if you? No, I never did. I, I, no, I can't say I never did. That is not what prevented me from like dating or like putting myself out there. I didn't feel that way. And Aaron had been like, yeah, you're not going to, you're not going to be alone forever, but do not date a boring dad. Don't date somebody who wears cargo pants. Nobody who wears sweatpants in public. Like, you know, <laughs> keep your self-respect. Like he had, you know, little idiosyncrasies that this was also before joggers existed, I have to say, oh. when sweatpants were like just big, schlubby, gross. Yeah, I don't know. Sweatpants are kind of cute now. You I don't know. know. There's a whole thing yeah. I learned sweatpants about gray sweatpants. And I, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm not going to say, y'all just look it up. I'm not going to, we're not going to talk about gray sweatpants, but someone got through to you. Somebody yeah. did. So tell me about that yeah. next evolution. It was also 
cue the gagging, cue people just turning this podcast off in rage. It was also an accident. It was just an accident. And I had befriended several widows. One of my best friends now, uh, her name is Mo. Her husband died by suicide two months before Aaron died of brain cancer. And we had sort of been pushed towards each other, right? We went to the same coffee shop. Our coffee shop ladies could not handle us not knowing each other. So we were forced into this friendship. And it worked. It worked because with Mo also, I think a reason that I didn't feel like, oh, I need to like, have a partner was because Mo was that person for me. And our friendship was so, so intimate right away. Like I could call her at two in the morning sobbing and she'd be like, oh my God, I know. And, you know, like I could take her son. She could take my son. We had this symbiotic emotional relationship that I think filled in a lot of those spaces that Aaron left behind, which is when you lose. And I think this happens for people who have experienced divorce or like a really hard breakup. Like it's not just the relationship. It is everything that relationship stood for, for you. It is having a person to call, to text, to share the minutia of your day. And Mo became that person for me and I became that person for her. And she had mentioned a few times, you know, having like this roster of guy friends and being like, you know, if you ever want to, date one, like I've got the, you know, I've got this lineup and I was absolutely uninterested. And it was coming up around Aaron's first death anniversary. And my body every November remembers. It remembers what those weeks were like when he was on hospice. It, this was the first time, but I, I could feel it. Like I could feel it climbing from my shoulders up to the back of my head, settling behind my eyes. I had a horrible migraine for weeks. I couldn't sleep. And really? I was just miserable. And Mo said, come on over. Let's burn some things. I love burning things. Oh, my God. I love fire. I love fire. Do you write intentions or? Oh, like, you know, it does not have to like be voodoo. meaningful. Okay. You, you give me a pile. Of, you just give me some lighter fluid and a match and I'm, I'm happy. Okay. Anything. So, you know, she was I brought a whole bag of like medical bills and like the explanation ah, of benefits and yeah, all that. that stuff. And yeah, you got to burn that. I was like, why am I keeping that? I was keeping it like in preparation for someday being told like, oh, you owe a million dollars, you know, here, we're, we're coming for you because America is a horrible place to be sick, as we all know. So I went over there, we burned some stuff, we sat in her backyard, and then the back gate opens and some other guy shows up and I'm so pissed. I'm like, oh God, I don't want to include another person in the conversation. It was... Uh, yeah, it's like, I don't want to pretend to care about another person tonight. I don't want to. And but then, you know, he, he's um, cute, right? <laughs> I, I like, look, he was pretty cute. And he was also like, he was dressed like just like a sort of like grungy, the indie grungy boy of your dreams of like the aughts, you know, like he was wearing a, a sweatshirt, a hooded sweatshirt with a nylon jacket over it. Okay. So like a toddler, basically. Okay. Um, <laughs> And, and I just love that. Like, I love like a little skinny, dirty boy. But I was like, oh, God, this guy. And he took the chair between me and Mo. And as he was sitting down and introducing himself, it's, I want to set this scene, which is, do you know those plastic Adirondack chairs that you can buy at like the hardware store? And they're so cheap. They're so cheap. They've got like a wood grain to them, but Lied you're like, it's back into them. You can't, yes. you can't sit forward. You, yeah, No, you, there's no sitting forward. So this one was pretty close to the fire and he sat down and it had like been warped by the heat. It like buckled underneath him, flipped back and all I saw was feet 
flying back and I saw like wine arching <laughs> in the light. And I exactly what you are doing right now. I had not laughed in a year. Like truly Aaron was like, he kept me laughing till his last breaths. And I laughed so hard at this stranger. I thought I was going to die or throw up and like, okay, you got to stop. It's not that funny. Like he's, he feels bad. Like he's inside now. Just shut the fuck up. You have to stop laughing. I'm like, oh my God, I can't. And then he came back and, oh, I'm, you know, I'm Matthew. I'm, you know, I I don't know how chairs work. And I was, the whole night I kept looking over at him and bursting into laughter. And he was like, "Mm -hmm." I fell out of my chair. I needed it so badly. It felt like just an exoskeleton had been cracked. And finally, I'm like, what's your deal? Like, is your wife dead? Like, why are you here? What was he burning? Was he burning thing? And no, he was just enjoying the flames, just listening, just again, listening, nodding, validating, observing, keeping his mouth shut. The perfect man. Right. You know, so I'm like, what, what's your deal? Like, is your wife dead? And he's like, nope, 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 no, I'm divorced. And I was so astonished. I was like, you're divorced. Oh my God, dude, that's so hard. I cannot believe you lived through a divorce. Like, you know, I'm like just flabbergasted. What's the distinction in like, your mind? Because as I said to him, yeah, okay, as I said to him, <laughs> she stopped loving you. That has to feel horrible. And he was like, no one has ever said that to me before, but yes. Thank you so it much. It did feel horrible. Thank you Thank so, you much, so for much for clarifying. Reframing that. I was just imagining the idea of like unbraiding a life with somebody, you know, not having it just end, but like the slow peeling apart of a couple, of a life that you shared and they had children. And I just, I was so mesmerized by this. I was like, you have to tell me everything. And I think that I was one of the only people who had ever asked him for the details, who had ever asked him like how it felt, how he survived because they had so many mutual friends, you know, like, and he was ashamed and he was embarrassed. And so much of it was so, so many levels of betrayal. And he was a beautiful, you know, compassionate man who also wasn't going to just like flap that around to the world and, or to their friend group. And I was just astonished by him. I was so astonished by him. And uh, the level of emotional honesty and maturity and listening also to the way that he talked about his kids. And I could tell he was also a person who had kept their world spinning, which is really, really hard to do. You know, I was trying to do that for a two-year-old and I felt like I was failing. And he was doing it for kids who were you know, much more verbal and (laughs) aware of their surroundings and, you know, who already had like really, really set routines. And I, I don't know. I just, it was something about that where I was like, I think tonight I'm going to go home, look him up on the internet and tell him to ask me out. (sighs) And that's what I did. (laughs) What? And so it, so it always started as romantic from that point forward. Yeah, I I didn't think like, oh, I'm going to marry this guy. I always held things like very loosely, you know, like, oh, well, like, we'll see. And we went out on a date the next week. And it was hours and hours and hours and hours long. We talked about everything. And it was so similar to how things fell together with Aaron. Such different personalities. Matthew is so shy. Aaron was so outgoing. Matthew thinks I'm funny. Aaron was funny. <laughs> and, but it was it was sort of 
the process was similar in that it was like, oh, I see something in you, right? Like there's this immediate feeling of like being seen, of being recognized, of knowing that you don't have to sort of like bullshit each other at all. You know, like you don't have to be like, well, I don't know. Are you going to see other people? Am I going to see other people? Like you just knew. You just sort of know. And even then I didn't think like, oh, I'm with this guy. I just thought like, oh, I'm with this guy right right now. now. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Okay. Here's a question for you about that moment when you looked him up and told him to ask you out. Because I'm bullish about women taking control of their dating destiny. Yes. Yes. Yeah. What did that really look like? And did you ever talk about it? The fact that you had initiated? Yes. Tell me everything. Yes. Yes, 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 yes. I mean, I proposed to Aaron too. Like, Aaron was Aaron was sick in his hospital bed. He'd been diagnosed with a brain tumor. And we had talked about getting married. And I was like, we are getting married. You leave this hospital, we're getting married. It was basically a threat. He was like, you can't marry me. I'm going to die. And I was like, yeah. And you're going to die being my husband. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not a no other possibility, dude. Very romantic. <laughs> but and it was it. truly it was like, I'm going to pick you and I will be here. And I sent Matthew a Facebook message. Nora. Why not yeah. just ask Mo how to get in touch with him? I don't know. That's a great question. That's a great question. Really, that would have been easier. I just wonder. Uh, wow. Like, we're... <laughs> you're like, no. No, we get invested in like yeah. the Facebook, the Facebook yeah, talk, I, right? I, I like, I love to get deep in a creep. And so I found a profile where it was like a drawing that a child had done. And the drawing was so accurate. You know, when kids like draw, like, in their cartoony little way, but it still looks like you. Mm-hmm. It looked like him. I was like, this has got to be the guy. The so I risk it. Matthew. I'm like, I'm like, I think, I think we met at Mo's tonight. I think you're so interesting. I think you're cute. You should ask me out. And he replies the next morning, murdering me, of course, but you know, he's not attached to his phone. He doesn't even use Facebook. I have no idea how we saw the notification. And that wasn't that long though. The next it, morning. It wasn't that long. Okay. But it felt, it felt like an But eternity. when you send something out there, you're like, <gasps> yeah. and you are like, I didn't sleep. I was just like, oh my God, this is so, why did I do that? And he replies and he's like, yeah, I should ask you out. And I'm like, right. So like, when, when are we going to do this? And, and he was like, Wednesday, that's the night I don't have my kids. And I loved that right away that we had other priorities. You know, I love, I just love knowing that like he was never going to, his kids were old enough, you know, like the the oldest was like in eighth grade. Like you can leave an eighth grader home while you go out or something, but no, 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 no. He was never going to do that. He was never going to sacrifice any time with his kids to go on a date with me or anybody else. And I loved that. I loved that he was like, here's when I can fit you in. Here's when my family can fit you in. That's a good Um, reminder, even for the folks listening who do not have kids, Setting the boundaries in the beginning, it's important. Setting your priorities. And also, like, when you're dating, letting that person know you're not the only thing I have going on here. (laughs) Yes. You're not. Yeah. No, I have this other thing. So I'm, and I think that's so valuable. And I really wish that I had been better about that in the past. I do. Like, I, more than once, like, went to bed with makeup on in case a boy texted me at 2 a.m. Gross. You know? Yeah. Yeah, don't so do that. So I could wake up. Gals, and like, don't do that. Oh, so I could be like, yeah, yeah, no, I'm up. I'm up. I'm you out. Need no, to keep you're your not. clean. No, no. Yeah. I'm, I'm all about the skincare regimen now. Yes. So. <laughs> not Horrible. worth it. Horrible. Not worth it. Yeah. No, no. My 20s were just so messy. So messy. First, I want to know 
Did he acknowledge that? And was that weird for him? Because I get questions all the time. Like, if I initiate, is that going to change the balance or the dynamic of the relationship? No. And if it does, that's not a person you want to be with. If there is already like any sense of like a power dynamic or whatever, like, no, ew, that's just, I think we joked about it only that he's so like shy and oblivious that he was like, I think I would have eventually contacted you. I would have eventually contacted you. He would have just found a way. He would have asked Mo. He would have asked Mo. He would have done it. Um, He was like, but also, you know, he's like, I don't know. I didn't want to like, assume, you know, I didn't want to be like, oh, like your husband's dead. Let's date. And I was like, that's a really good point. And I didn't care either way. And I thought like, oh, I, you know, I'm going to go out uh, to dinner and maybe make out with like a really cute dude who has a good heart. But I think it was a relief for him too. Like, and I think like make a lot of assumptions about what we assume people like will and will not want, you know? Yeah. And like, we just put it out there. You can actually get the real reaction as yeah. opposed to spinning around in your head, making assumptions about what they think. Yeah. So I want to talk, before we have to go, I want to talk about lending a family. Yes. I yeah. think this applies to my listeners in two ways. I have the camp of people that are like, I don't want to date anybody that has kids that's been divorced. Mm-hmm. I don't want to deal with any baby mamas. <laughs> and mm-hmm. then you're coming to the table as a parent and yep. eventually looking to blend lives with somebody who's going to co-parent your kid. And yeah. Yeah. I, we'll, we'll put baby aside for the moment. Yeah. And talk about <laughs> the bigs and the little. Yeah. Was that ever a concern for you dating, dating someone who had a baby mama? And was there any baby mama drama to speak of? I never imagined that I would date somebody who had kids. If I would have looked up Matthew on an app, I would have swiped no. Whatever right is no. Right is no. Left, Left is yes. Left is yeah. Left is no. Yeah, you've been doing it wrong. Okay, that might have. (laughs) Yeah, who knows? Who I'm left-handed, so it makes Uh, yes to me is the left way. Actually, hot tip: the reason that it's right is that most people are right-handed, so it's easier to swipe right than to swipe Mm. left. So that Mm. makes sense that you would get it backwards because no left. Who knows who I accidentally matched with (laughs) the five minutes that I was on one of those? But I would have said no to him because he was. He is, remains shorter than me with a tween and a teen. Are you kidding me? Like, no, that does not fit into my my expectation of what like another relationship would look like. And all I can say is like, thank goodness that I did not see him on an app first because what I needed and what I appreciate about our family is not something that I could ever have imagined for myself. Truly, it's not. And I think... I tell everybody to date a parent. I find a parent. Okay, find somebody. There's a lot of reasons for this. One, like they know how to take care of someone that is not themselves. Mm. Okay, they have real life responsibilities. They are not the center of their own world. And I think that's a good thing. I think it is a really good thing to come to a relationship as a partnership, not as like, oh, we are, we are everything to one another. But like, oh, we can fit together and we can do things together. But also like, I don't need Matthew and Matthew doesn't need me. We had perfectly functional families and lives outside of each other. And we chose and we choose, continue to choose each other and continue to choose this. Blending a family is not a small thing. Coming into a kid's life is not a small thing. And if I can offer anybody advice, it's to 
do it as humbly as possible. And Matthew never said like, I'm your new dad to Ralph. And I never was like, guess what? Like, I'm dating your dad now. We said like, we're going to let the kids set the tone for whatever this is. So when we all met for the first time, we were like, we're two friends. <laughs> like, And, you know, his oldest is like, uh, I'm an eighth grader. I can kind of sense a vibe. I think you're dating. And he said to his dad, I'm so proud of you. Aww. I'm so proud of you. That's sweet. And I, I think part of it is like, you know, is luck. Our kids really, really liked each other right away. Ralph was two. He was like a little doll. He loved, loved, loved having big kids in the house. And he still does. And part of it, too, is knowing that if it didn't work, it would not have worked. Mm-hmm. And we could have gone our separate ways respectfully and said, if our kids are a priority and our kids are not into this, then it can't work. Did you wait a while to introduce them? It was like six weeks. And I also find like, especially for older kids, I think it is good for them to understand the dating process and for them to know like it is possible to date somebody that you don't spend your whole life with. It is possible for you to like somebody that you don't end up loving. And it is possible for you to spend time with somebody without centering your life around them. And I also think at some age, and I do think it's sort of like that tween teen age, if you wait to introduce your children to a person until you've been together months or years and you love them, the big kids were already kind of offended that they were outside of the know, if that makes sense. Mm, It does. You know? That does. Actually... That's a good counterpoint. I mean, I usually say wait until you feel that this person's going to be in your life for a while. But yeah, that's a very good point that, well, one, if your older kids don't like that person, you're mm-hmm. you're going to have a good luck nightmare experience. Happen. And then yeah. you're right. Like if they feel if they already knew or mm-hmm. if they like if they felt like they suspected it and then you kept mm-hmm. it from them, then you're kind of playing uh, yeah. defense at that point. Yeah. And you're sort of like, my sister is is now divorced and she's been really open with her kids who are around the same ages to say like, okay, I'm going out on a date, but I don't know how serious, you know, like not like they don't need to know all the details. They don't. But like, I do think like we get so few representations of what it means to date. Typically, right? Your children know their parents as just parents, as people have already been together. And so how do you expect kids, like, how did you enter the dating world? I did it clumsily and horribly and believing that like, my entire opinions were shaped by like rom-coms and Seventeen magazine. And yeah, we talk about that a lot on the show, like unraveling those rom-com fairy tale expectations because it's not the real world. Yeah. But you've you've done it. You've been through it and you live to tell the tale. At the same time, it is different for Ralph because he was a toddler. Mm -hmm. And so I did have like some boundaries around that, right? Like Mm -hmm. he's never going to wake up and see you at my house. He's never going to go to bed when you're here. His life needs to be pretty stable and he can know that you are around me. Like you can be a part of our life, but like it cannot be confusing for a little kid. To me, Matthew is not going to be like tucking him in or picking him up from daycare or anything like that until I knew that we were like truly a thing that we were going to be together. And younger kids form attachments in different ways. And those early attachments that they have are really important. I just want to bring it all home to (laughs) after all these experiences that you had, you've chosen to 
have a podcast, Terrible Thanks for Asking, where you talk to people about their terrible experiences too. Yeah, yeah, yes, yes, What do you think is the big theme and the big takeaway as far as relationships that the Dates and Mates listeners should know? If they feel like, I mean, we've all been through a collective trauma in the last year and people have had different levels of compound trauma that they've Mm -hmm. experienced in association with that and in association with other things. How can we collectively show up in relationships in the most authentic, whole, and mindful way in spite of all that? Yeah. I think sometimes we get a little bit wrapped up around our own experience and talking to, I mean, at this point, thousands of people in this work has shown me that it can have two effects on you. Either you can like wrap yourself around it and you close yourself off from the world, or it sort of like breaks you open, opens you up to the experiences of other people, right? It sort of strengthens that empathy muscle. And when you're the former, when you are sure that your suffering is somehow like what sets you apart, right? This is what makes me different from the entire world. Like you miss the opportunity to connect with other people. And I'm not talking about trauma bonding and trying to compare, you know, like, oh, this is what I went through. This is what I went through. No, 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 no. But if you can understand and remember that even though your story is 100% unique, it is also not. It's not. People don't only relate with stories or with experiences because they went through the exact same thing. They relate because of the feelings surrounding it. And those feelings are universal. And we do expect, I know that I have done this in most of not just my romantic relationships, but my friendships as well. We expect people to absolutely know how we operate and and what to do with us and how we work. And we truly just can't. We truly can't. Mm-hmm. So all relationships, I think all relationships have to come from a place of humility and a place of empathy for others and for ourselves. And remembering that every single person has been through something. Every single person will go through another thing. To me, that's kind of a, a point of comfort most of the time too, is not relying on anything to be a happy ending for me or for anybody else. And I think especially for our children in a blended family or in any kind of family, I don't ever want our kids or any anyone else's kids or all of us, we're all former children to believe that, you know, our current happiness somehow invalidates our past or that our past precludes us from experiencing joy in the future. No, I think it is all of this stuff is not an interruption to life. You know, 2020 was not an interruption to our lives. That's life. Mm -hmm. Like that is life that happens and it did happen and it might happen again. And it's actually still happening. It's still fucking happening, people. It's still happening, you know? Yes. Like you said, you said a mouthful, sister. There was so much. There are a couple of things I just want (sighs) to pull out to remind people. I keep talking this year about empathetic dating and I Mm. And you've kind of crystallized for me why that is so important right now in the experience we've had in 2020, where like people experience different kinds of trauma throughout their lives. But this was something we all went through together. Mm -hmm. And so if you can approach it from a place of empathy for the people that you're meeting and for yourself, for yourself, like everybody, not only is everybody doing a pandemic for the first time, right? 
So no one you know has done this before. No one you know has done this before. But like every date you go on, every relationship you start, you are beginners to each other. And I think that's such a beautiful thing, too, because you can also relearn yourself while teaching yourself to another person. And you can you can say like, God, is that like a habit that I really need to hold on to or not? And Matthew and I are coming up on six years together, I think. And we are still learning each other. And I'm still, still learning about how his past marriage affects our current marriage, Mm -hmm. how, you know, my grief affects how I show up with him and with our children today. And this expectation that we will someday reach a point of complacency or that we will someday reach a point where there's just like nothing more to do, nothing more to learn is so false. And like, I don't want to live in that world anyways. Not really. No, I don't either. No. So thank you for reminding us of the opportunity that we have to it's learn an and grow and yeah. to be in the moment because the present moment is really all we have. It's all we have and anything can happen. Anything can happen and it always does. Well, thank you for being in this yeah. present moment with me, Nora. Thank you. Thank you for having me, everybody. Thank you for listening. Make sure you check out Terrible Thanks for Asking. It's on all of the podcast platforms or at ttfa.org. And check out her books. I especially recommend for this audience No Happy Endings and The Hot Young Widows Club. We'll put the link to find Nora in the show notes. All right, stick around because... I have questions. I have some really provocative questions to close out this season, including should you pay for exclusive features on dating apps? And what do you do if you think your partner might be racist? Oh my gosh, don't go anywhere. Welcome back. It's our last Dear Demona of season eight. And I can't wait to share it with you. Dear Demona. Demona, help me. This first question is a voice memo from Dahlia. I would appreciate some tips to make my profile, I guess, better. Thing is, they're messaging me, and because I'm not an A-lister, I have a lot of likes and maybe messages, but because I'm not an A-lister. So I'm just thinking if I should just bite the bullet and just pay to be an A-lister, maybe I'll have better matches or it's just going to be the same. That's what I'm gambling with now. So if you could give me some tips, maybe the people that I'm trying to connect with, they're not into me. And maybe my time hasn't come yet. This is a very common question that I hear from daters across dating apps. So I'm going to give you a general answer for all dating apps, not specifically any one premium feature. But in general, if you are serious about dating and dating online, my recommendation is that you invest in it. That could be an investment of time. That could be an investment of money. If you don't have a lot of time, you may want to invest some money so that you can truncate the time that you need. Like on Bumble Premium, you can access your beeline so you can see who already likes you. Same thing with OkCupid's premium features like A-List. That allows you to see who likes you first and then engage, right? So you're not doing all the swiping yourself proactively, it'll save you time and it'll shortcut things. So it isn't so much, Dahlia, that the matches are better, but the experience, I would say, generally is better because you're not having to sort through everything. There are also different features on different dating apps that you might want to use, like 
On Tinder Plus, you can rewind your last swipe if you swipe by accident. You can do super likes where you come up to the top of the queue. There are other features like on Bumble Premium, there's travel mode so you can search openly. It's And it varies from app to app. On OkCupid, that feature was unlocked for everybody. So people have heard me say before, you get what you pay for on dating apps. And for a long time, I would say that if you're online dating for free, you're probably not having the most fulfilling experience and you're probably not getting the most quality messages or matches. And as things moved more towards free dating apps being the norm and the expectation, I've had to adapt my perspective that it's not so much paying for a dating site, like in the, in the olden terms, I have been doing the show for eight seasons, y'all. It's not the same as free site versus paid site, but it's important to remember that dating apps are not free. Like they, it costs money for them to have the infrastructure to be able to provide you with these matches for free. And when you invest in the dating app, you tend to get a more successful experience. It's not that expensive. Why not just boost for a month and see if you have a better experience of it? See who's read your messages, have more search and filter options. A lot of times people get frustrated that they're doing the same searches on dating apps and getting the same people coming up, right? You're like, what? I saw this person on Bumble and I saw them on Tinder. I saw them on OkCupid and I'm not getting any viable new options in the pipeline, you have to switch something up. You have to search by different filters. You have to expand your criteria. You have to expand your geographic area. And a lot of the premium features on dating apps would allow you to do that. But Dahlia, if you want tips to make your profile better, first of all, get the profile starter kit that has all the tips you need. It has literally plug and play profile templates. I made it for you all, my Dates and Mates listeners, because I get so many questions about what goes in the perfect profile. Well, you can use one of my prompts so you can write your story in a succinct way that has passion words like I talk about on the show, and it has threads for someone to pick up and message you. I also have plug and play templates. If you're like, I really can't write about myself, just use my templates, put in the words and the details that make sense for your life, but then use all of my other hard work for you. And then also you need to know more about the three C's and it has a training video. And that is the most important part of your profile, your pictures, making sure your pictures are telling your story. That's some tips to make your profile better. Make sure you get it. It's on datesandmates.com or profilestarterkit.com if you forget that. But go to datesandmates.com. I'll hook you up. It's free, y'all. So I want to make sure everybody is dating at the A-list level this summer. This next question comes to us from a listener named C. We'll call her. She says, my boyfriend once said that he wouldn't date a girl of color and it's been bothering me. I know it isn't necessarily my place to be upset, but it rubs me the wrong way. I tried talking to him about it earlier today, but every time I would ask him why, he would give me an unintentionally, question mark, racist answer. Since we are in an open relationship, I recently broke up with my girlfriend who is a black woman. They never had issues, but he seemed almost grossed out by her. I don't want to break up with him, but I cannot date a racist. Is this preference or racism? Well, see, you've come to the right place because I am 
very vocal about the fact that I think all of our dating preferences have to be examined. And we can no longer say, I don't date Black girls or I don't date Asian guys and say, that's just my preference. That's just what I prefer without examining that that is based on your experiences. We are conditioned to be attracted to things or people who are similar to us and to be fearful or or back away from those who are different. And the more that we lean into those tendencies, the more we will harden into a line of thinking around a particular race or culture or religion or height or whatever it is that you feel like is your type that is something that ultimately is superficial. Like if you took that away, it would not change necessarily the person who they are and the core of their beliefs and values. So I would say this is a red flag. It would be for me. I'm a person of color though, so I probably wouldn't be in that situation. But as somebody who's in an open relationship and dates people who are of other cultures and might be bringing them into the relationship with you, you have a right to be concerned. Now, you're not going to change his perspective, obviously. And it's up to you whether you want to engage in this way. Because there are a lot of problems that are like, you know what, this is just too big. This is too big to discuss. It's a non-negotiable for me. And I don't want to go there. I don't want to be the one to shake things up and to make it awkward and uncomfortable. And I want you to hear from me, first of all, that that's okay. If you don't want to be that person and you don't want to be in that position, you don't want to have those conversations. You have a choice, though, see? You could choose to use this as a teachable moment. And you could choose to ask him questions, which it sounds like you talk, You tried talking to him about it recently, and it feels like you said he gave maybe unintentionally racist answers. I'm not exactly sure what you mean by that. But there's an opportunity there, if he's willing to talk to you about it, to just unpack the why. What are the inputs that he's hearing that are making him feel that he's grossed out by Black people or that he wouldn't date a girl of color? What is it that he believes about Black women or about the world that we live in that potentially is not true, that he's just inexperienced about, that he does not have the life experience to be able to form a different perspective or be more open-minded? And the answer for some people is, I just couldn't do it. This is how I was raised and my brain cannot shift to thinking another thing. Or it may be that I've had this other experience, like maybe there's a trauma under there that he's associating her with. I don't know what the deal is, but I think it's commendable that you're willing to have the conversation. But I think you are doing the right thing in getting clear yourself on what are the values that you hold and only allowing people to get close to you who are in alignment with your values and the life that you are building and the things that you want to learn and the people who you want to invite into your circle. I told you we were ending with a bang for episode number 371 of Dates and Mates and the conclusion of season eight. Y'all have to listen to Terrible Thanks for Asking and check out Nora McInerney. We will put the link to Terrible Thanks for Asking 
in the show notes as well as to her books. And I'm here for you, as you see in Dear Demona, but I'm always here for you. I am on all the socials at Demona Hoffman. You can send me a DM on any platform with your question for the show. You can even send me a voice memo like Dahlia did, and you could hear your question in your own voice on this very show. We are not missing a beat. We will be back with season nine and a super hot episode to kick things off. Guess who I'm talking to? Nick Vile. You know I'm from The Bachelor and Bachelor in Paradise and The Bachelorette. And now he's going to be talking with me about how you can master the DM slide, (laughs) his experience on The Bachelor, his experience on finding love after The Bachelor, and so much more. This is going to be an unbelievable season. I'll be talking also to Logan Yuri, the dating expert for Hinge, who's written the critically acclaimed book, How to Not Die Alone. I'll be talking to Laverne Cox, the LGBT activist and actress. I'll be talking to the Emmy award-winning host, Nicole Byer. This is going to be a great season. So make sure you're subscribed. Make sure you tell a friend and make sure you tune in next week to hear me and Nick Vile. Until then, I wish you happy dating.